This is an excerpt from Sisters of the Yam by Bell Hooks. Having lived in a segregated Southern black world and in an integrated world where black people live with and among whites, the difference I see is that in the traditional world of black folk experience, there was and remains in some places and certainly in many hearts, a profound unshaken belief in the spiritual power of black people to transform our world and live with integrity and oneness despite oppressive social realities. This week's episode of Hood Rat to Head Rap is sponsored by a completely unfulfilling side hustle and day job that does not necessarily yield any um, non-monetary benefit um, or professional development or growth where I'm not valued. And yeah, it's a lot of white people. But it's expensive to live in New York, so here we are. Hustling. Thank you. So everybody, shout out to our sponsors, day jobs that really um, make you feel soulless inside. Thank you. Yes. What's good, y'all? Hi. We're back for our special Afropunk edition of Head Rap to Hood Rap. How you feeling, baby? What's the name of the show? Head Rap to Hood Rap. Head Rap. Hood Rap. To head rap, hood rat to head rap, hood rat to head rap. You say hood, I say head rap. You say hood, I say head rap. You say hood, I say head rap. Hey, 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 hey. All right, how you doing, baby? I'm tired, baby. How are you doing? You, yeah, I'm post Afro punk. I'm white. I'm white. I'm out. I'm out. I'm exhausted. This is not. A game. It's not a game. My first Afro punk. Possibly my last. Possibly. But did you have fun? First Afro punk. You've been watching this from the other side of the country. Just I seeing know. the pictures pop up and scrolling the photo galleries. Yep. And now you and actually got to be a part of the whole photo gallery for two days. Yes. The, the, the big fashion show that is Afro punk. I got to be front and center mm-hmm. um, in the back. The porter. Because <laughs> um, I just had on like some sweatpants and a t shirt and you like a hat. You say that you, you pay to play, you pay to say that about I me. I do not pay. The day job does not pay me to say that. Okay. I but say that of my that. own accord. What? Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that was my first Afro punk. I actually really. Um, I have nuanced feelings about it. I can't coming from where I'm from. We have a very music festival oriented culture. Um, I actually ran a music festival at UCLA or I helped produce one. Um, I'm not of whose name I'm not going to mention no shout outs necessary to anything attached to that institution. Uh, but I've been doing it for a while and I've been going to concerts and shows. I'm the type of motherfucker I'll travel three hours, me and my cousin, just to go to Sacramento to see Bilal, like rented a car mm-hmm. and everything, mm-hmm. um, just to see him on a guitar. Um, and that's it. It was just good. Bilal, a guitar, and maybe like two other people. And they were also on guitars. 
It's a very bare bones, minimalist set, but it was something new and something exciting. And this felt less about music mm-hmm. or less than, um, not less than a music festival, but it's certainly something. I, I don't know if it can be necessarily defined as a music festival, no. Why? Uh, I think that it, it's just, it's a festival, but music mm-hmm. is not the focal point. Got it. Um, as music festivals tend to have a little bit more of a, the curation is a lot more thoughtful throughout the different stages. Whereas I felt like they were just curated in a way that made sense mm-hmm. for the audience mm-hmm. or made sense to make sure that there was content and programming on each stage pretty much at all times. Mm-hmm. Not to say other music festivals aren't like that, but besides the headliners, it didn't feel super intentional. So before we roast and toast, roast and toast, roast and toast, Afropunk. What about the music did you like? Because you are a music head. You do very much yeah, as music. are you. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. But so, what did you? Who was your favorite performer? You know, like those questions. Like, who did you love to see? <laughs> and like, who are you? Thundercat. Like, so excited. About? Thundercat. Oh, okay. Now that Thundercat. I'm not even gonna sit up here in front. Thundercat was a treat. Yeah, like you that was an. I, I got my whole life. Like that was a spiritual experience, um, mm-hmm. and I've never seen Thundercat live. And I'm an avid listener of his music, and that was just a shit. Um, he did a lot of more obscure stuff of his. He did stuff from the new album Drunk. He gave you pretty much everything you need. He started off with the bangers. He ended with a banger. Banger as in like. The songs that I like, I don't give a fuck what everybody else like. Yeah. Um, he didn't do I feel weird. Comb your beard, brush your teeth, still feel weird. Beat your me, go to sleep. Ooh. He didn't do that. I hope people are singing along. <clears throat> y'all should be. If y'all not get it. <laughs> so that was my oh Solange. Solange was insane. So, babe, yeah, so I enjoy, uh, thoroughly enjoyed mm-hmm. the music. You like Anderson Pac, too. You oh, Anderson Pack killed Pac? it. Pack Pac? Pac, Anderson Pack killed it. Shout out LA, straight up. Like, okay. I mean, it was brought out to live quietly and to live quietly had that, that awkward sick. moment where he was like, if you from Brooklyn, you trying to get by. Like, put your hands in the sky. And, you know, my nigga, like, people are not from and Brooklyn. if you are from Brooklyn, you certainly spent your last on the ticket. So, if you live in anywhere with these rent prices. <laughs> so, babe, tell me about... We'll get back to the musical aspect. Okay. But, babe, uh, tell me about your experience. I have to go back. We got to go back a little bit. Got to give some historical context. Because this is like my sixth Afropunk. So, when I... The first time I ever went to Afropunk, there was never a line to get in. If there was a line, it lasted for about three seconds, and it was just people bombarding the front to get in. And then people were just in the park, and there were stages set up, and there was music, you know, musicians were playing, and there was people that were headlining. And the first time I went, I think Janelle Monet was headlining, or someone else. Janelle Monet did performs last year, but this was another, a few years back. And it was just a ton of black people. It's just black heaven, essentially. Black queer heaven, because a lot of the people are queer. Um, Despite Essence Magazine showing black love at Afropunk, and it was all presumable straight couples. And I was like, "Mm, that's weird. That's not really Afropunk. 
Um, but that's cool, black love. Feature, it could anyway. be Afro. It could be Afro. Right. Yes. So why I mention that is because of how much it's changed. And last year, when they added a cost to Afropunk, it was already alarming to a lot of the folks who are, you know, just Afropunk connoisseurs. <laughs> so that was a lot. They lost a lot of true punk people. Um, and I'm not, cannot speak as a person that is punk per se, but I think I, I resonate a lot with punk um, culture. So I know that that left, and this year it felt like that left even more. It felt very much like you said, like a, a photo shoot rather than a music festival. And the reason why I love to go so much is because it's full of you know black folks and black magic, black queer magic, but it's also with that comes our music. And I felt like that was missing this year. Like there was one moment or at least no, it was like two moments where we were standing on the main stage or standing around the main stage and there was no music playing. And that's never the case at Afropunk. There's it's constant. There may be like a five second like lapse in time, but you can easily just press play on that Prince album or Cardi B or Get that ox DMX or yes. something. You know what I mean? There's always, that's a, that was what was so beautiful about it. You always go to the park with your friends and want to kick it and you don't got no, no music to play. Got no little and this is the perfect like opportunity. You're going to hear all of the things you want to hear and they're going to be sung by the artists that you love. So that's what I, I love about Afropunk and that's what was missing for me this year. Also, folks know that I went topless for the first time last year and showed my double mastectomy scars. So this year for me was like, okay, I'm absolutely again going to do that. Afropunk showed so much love when I did that last year. So I was like, let me do that again and like up the ante and really go in because as I've been, you know, kind of on a roll for the past year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did that again. And last year when I went, I kid you not, it was like 10 people who took a picture of me. Like actually actively was like, hey, can I take a picture of you? You know, granted, there may have been more just randomly taking pictures of me, but that was it. Most of the people were kind of shocked and like, whoa, what happened to her chest or where are her nipples? We're engaging in a conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or asking questions and things like that. So this year we couldn't move. Five steps no, without folks <laughs> asking us for a picture or hugging me or Crying calling out my name. Yeah. Like last year, people didn't know my name. Right. So this year it was like, it was like, oh my God, it's Erica and yeah. Ebony. People were excited to see the, the two lightweight. of us. Yeah. Not a lightweight, heavyweight. <laughs> on, the, on the low. <laughs> on, the low on the high. So it, that was a whole new experience for me. A complete 180. Like, I'm not used to that. Even when I go to speak at schools, there may be, like, two or three people who geek out, you know, about the work that I do, but never to the extent of an entire, you know, park festival of people. Everywhere I walk, somebody recognizing me. students from universities that you've spoken at. Including, who are coming, who, have, who came to Afropunk and yeah. it's like, oh my God, you came to my college. Yeah. And spoke. It's wild. Yeah. It's completely wild. Yeah. Yeah. That was my, I mean, that's, that was my experience in a nutshell. I know we're going to pull it apart a little bit more, but I would say that is like the overall. And I think that's intense. Um, and I discount, I think sometimes people underestimate the intensity of it. Well, one thing I do want to add though, is that when I'm at Afropunk, I get to be how I would like to be in the world. 
as far as like what like I'm wearing. Like fishnets and a, and a thigh Fish, harness. Right. Every day. And so Doc Martens and no jeans. Shirt. And Erica no shirt. don't wear shirts really. I don't house. wear shirts. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer, and the thing about Afropunk last year is that I went topless and nobody really cared. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people were like. What do you mean by that? They didn't care. They was just like, that's what's up. Like it wasn't like, oh God, like you need to put a shirt on or, you know, freak out. And I felt like this year it was like, I love you so much, but there was a lot of like care for it. Does that make sense? There's yeah. a lot of desire to photograph it. So I would love to just be in the world and that this is my viewpoint on anybody's body is that we could just be without a shirt or however comfortable we want to be and not be bothered. Right. Just exist and be unbothered and not bothered. Right. Which is the gag about why you do what you do and why it is. And I tell people it's a direct action. It's not like, of course, the, the one hand and the most... I think um, surface level aspect is that, yeah, you would just like to be topless places and yeah. you just don't wear shirts and you just dress. You essentially dress like this every day as much as you can. Yeah. Um, you are not one to adhere to respectability politics in any form or facet. And has never been you since the day that I've met you. Never. And so I think the other aspect of it is that, and then there's also like, Niggas walking around with their shirts off all day, nipples, bare chest, they on Facebook and Instagram, not having their pages taken down, not having to use emojis to censor their breast or their, like, it's crazy to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how that's at play, and I think that goes into, I, I want to be, given my assessment of Afropunk, I want it to be fair. Uh, but I also felt like, one, the the overarching feeling that I had is that people were showing a lot of love. And I feel like you and I talked about this. Black people had this way. It's just something with black people and manners. Like, I don't know what it is, but we really have them. Yep. I don't know if it's inherent or whatever the hell we it do. is. We it's really ancestral. do. It was a drastic difference. But I'll go to any other music festival, and especially predominantly white music festivals, which pretty much all music festivals are because of access and the money it takes. There's actually been a couple of videos floating around the internet where white people are talking about how much they spend each summer on festivals, and the number tops easily $10,000. Whoa. In uh, total or just in one? In total, like on their clothes. You know, I don't spend that much on their clothes, but... Um, you know, you mean on like drinks. one person spends $10, one person $10, reported wow. to have spent over ten thousand dollars um, on music festivals in the summer alone. Wow. That's VIP. White people had this thing about access where they really like to be in. Uh, they like to be able to go into places. They like to be able to parade around like with their wristbands or they lanyards and shit on and laminated whatever the fuck, letting people know that I have a certain level of. Mm-hmm. ability mm-hmm. Um, to move about this festival that you don't have. Yeah. Regardless of that, nobody stepped on my foot. Yeah. I didn't get one drink spilled on me. Yeah. And people were showing hella love and it was hella beautiful and to meet hella people. Shout out to Kay and and Kirsten. You're and, so good with and names. shout out to all the people. One, you know, my, my homegirl from Kentucky, her and her friends she drove 12 so hours sweet. to come to Afropunk. Right. You know, really happy to be in y'all presence. Everybody, I just, I felt very, very much so in the space of love. Black Mm -hmm. love as black people situate themselves in communities was present. We just do that naturally. For the most part. And that is what I think Afropunk is. It's an opportunity to be in community. 
And the the ways in which people were coming up to me and coming up to us and saying, thank you, and I love y'all, and the work you do is so beautiful, and waiting, you know, people would kind of crowd around me and kind of take turns of taking pictures with oh, me damn. or saying hi, but they would wait. Yeah, I had to do a little crowd control. You know, there was one right. moment where it was, a, you know, p- predominantly white people who were kind of grabbing at me to take a picture with me and taking up a lot of my time and telling me that they had the BRCA gene and, and that they need to make decisions about that. That was the only time that that happened. And I don't think that that's any, that's not a coincidence. No. You know, but it, it's a lot. It's a lot in the things that people share with me and I hold it dearly. When people tell me about their, you know, the people that they've lost to breast cancer, it's a lot to hold that. And it's not that I don't want to hear it, of course, but as somebody that has breast cancer, someone who's also lost someone to breast cancer, it's challenging to hear. Um, Especially in the space where you're expected to be extroverted, where you're right. expected to be Erica Hart and right. expected to be super gracious and right. nice and, and sort of liaise with people, right. you know, in a very tactful, you know, trained way. Right. And I, I think, think that I'm immediately supposed to console like All I'm supposed to, you know, There's fall into reaction. that black femme role where yeah. I'm going to then take care of you in yeah. that moment of you crying, which several people did. And I feel like if I started crying, that wouldn't necessarily be allowed. Plus, I didn't want to run that makeup. <laughs> to right, that long face was big. Time, fast was and guess who did it? Me. My nigga. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that may sound shallow, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm here right. for it. But I think... Yeah, it's just, it's a lot to hold. So today I am, I am exhausted more than I have ever been after any Afropunk. Right. It's just, it's a lot. Do you yeah. feel like some of the uh, um, responses that you got were othering? Yeah, you know, I think, I think it's interesting when people tell me that I'm inspiring. I've always felt that. Because I haven't done anything per se. I would beg to differ, but what the other thing we talk about too, babe, is what am I inspiring you to do? Well, you may beg to differ because you know, you're maybe talking about the educational work that I do, but I'm saying... As a whole? Well, I'm just talking about just taking my top off. Mm -hmm. Because is it brave that I took my top off because I have a double mastectomy? Or is it brave when any person with a chest that belongs to a femme-presenting person is that is what is you know, brave. Is that bravery just any time? Or is it me because I have a double mastectomy and people with double mastectomies are supposed to be, you know, sad and gloomy and down about their bodies and hate them and be inside of this conversation that they don't like it or that it's different and that they want to get back to having nipples and being normal. Yeah. You know what? I'm just curious because then if, if it's the latter, if it's because breast cancer patients are supposed to be in this particular way, then I'm, you know, it's hard for me to deal with that's inspiring. Yeah. Because I want to challenge that conversation and really just bust it wide open. Right. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I also just feel like people, uh, oh, you're so brave, you're so confident. It's almost like, why wouldn't I be? Right. It's almost like, like they're surprised. That I would be because they are also think, they also have those prejudices about different bodies. Right. They also have perceptions that a body is supposed to be as proximal as possible to the standard, which of course is a white supremacist driven beauty standard, right? which is like as normal, normal right. white has been posited as the normal, as the default. And if you veer any way away from that, mm-hmm. then 
oh, wow, you must be confident to be able to be black and to be femme and to be a breast cancer survivor in the world that hates especially black femmes, much right. less a black femme who's now naked in public with mastectomy scars. Right, and that was always the the back end of that. It was, oh, you are so inspiring and you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, there's also that element of pretty privilege yeah. there too, right? Yeah. Where it's like, oh my gosh, you had breast cancer and you're still pretty. It's like, those two things can't coexist. Right. Or they need to coexist, especially in a space like Afropunk. Yeah. Like, as I scroll through the, you know, the hashtag, I see everybody is beautiful. And it's not just every, of course, all black people are beautiful, Mm -hmm. but all the people that are getting featured are conventionally attractive. Mm -hmm. And I haven't always been considered conventionally attractive, but I get that my features and the way that my body is shaped now as as an adult is something that is considered conventional attractive attractiveness or something close to whiteness. It's also why I get featured in so many things. I'm, I'm very clear of the pretty privilege that I hold and also the academic privilege and socioeconomic status privilege that I, that I have access to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting. And, and because Afropunk is, is a festival and we're all kicking it and we're kikiing and we're just taking pictures and having a blast. I don't have the time or the space to engage with each and every person. That's like, you're beautiful and inspiring. Engage with them and I be like, to. Hey, yeah. What does that, what mean, does that mean, mean to you? Yeah. What does that mean? You know, like, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta wrestle with that a little bit more because a lot of folks, you know, who I love in my life say to me, you know, you can be inspiring for people and that's okay. And I think for me, it is hard for me to acknowledge uh, a compliment as large as that. Right. And I, that is something that I don't know, we could talk about on the next podcast, but I don't necessarily want to process that out right now. But there is something there is something there for me about that. When folks say it, it's hard to receive. True. And it's mm-hmm. also hard to differentiate between like you're inspirational and like you are also different. Right. Like how much is it inspirational and how much is it othering? Right. How much what what. And that's why I always challenge people when they say that about you is inspiring you to do what? Right. Because none of y'all came up and said, you know, hey, I actually, I was in the shower before I got cute and I checked my breasts. Right. It's just like, yeah, what, what action? What you finna do? You inspired, but toward what end? Right. What action are you taking? Like what, what is actually moving you to do something? Are you going to go and end white supremacy right now? What, what's going to happen? So, yeah. And do you understand? Right. Right. But that's why you do the work that you do, because you don't have time at Afropunk. Right. To say these it's things. Also, <laughs> it's also exalting me on a new, on some sort of higher platform as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're inspiring. It's like, you are something other than I am. Yeah. And I always tell people, like, I'm just a reflection of you. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to see me as something that you could not be. Like, I'm no different than you. Yeah. I have the same set of insecurities and the same set of trauma and what you see is trauma. And I think I had a really great conversation with one of my good friends who was saying, you know, people want to, you know, feed off your trauma or want to be moved by your trauma. And that's it. Yeah. Right. Like you want to just be like, oh, my God, that's so much trauma. And I can't believe that's that much trauma. And I'm so happy it's not me. You are so inspiring. Right. <laughs> you got it. Here, like it's a token. Like, 
thanks. Right. Thanks for it being you right. as thanks, opposed to me. Tone, thanks for it being you. And that's what that's how it feels. It feels like I'm so happy it happened that way and not for me. And that there's an example of you not dying. Yeah. It's more it's not just that there's a narrative of morbidity, it's people's responses are morbid. Totally. Totally. Too chronic. Yeah, there's like I'm cancer. so happy that you're still here. I'm so happy that you're surviving. I'm so I'm so happy that you're surviving. <laughs> to be black in this country. I'm right. so happy that you're here. Right. You know, and I, I get it, but it's we have to shift this conversation to something else. Or we just have to get real about what is driving the things that we say to each other. Totally. Um, in a very real way. And I think my my and this brings me back to my major point about afropunk is like i felt like i really had like a lightweight existential crisis like we sat down i sat in front of the porta potties perfect venue for my many existential nihilistic <laughs> you know realization yeah about the place that i was occupying it felt like a plantation sometimes yeah but like i'm in the house yeah you know, it's like no matter where we go, we're forced to settle. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to not levy such harsh criticisms of Afropunk because beautiful black people inhabit that space. And that is a space created for black folks. But it's like any space created for us must be we must just accept it in the way that it is because we're lucky to even have it. Well, we must accept it the way that it is and we have to open it up to white folks. Yes. You know, we can't have a space that's just black people only because then white folks come and they put their stuff on it and say that they have to have access to it. If not, it's racism. Right. Even though there's hundreds and hundreds of years of them doing that and getting away with it. Right. And it's not even, we're not even doing it maliciously. Right. We just want to come together in community to love on each other. And they won't have it that they're not included. And so I really, I'm going to be totally honest. That was really a difficult thing for me to contend mm. with was the number and the scale of white people attending that festival. I just, it went all in my head and it was just, I, I'm, you know, looking at the stage and I'm looking at the likely a third party company. I'm pretty sure that Afropunk hired them mm-hmm. um, as a third party company. Um, I don't even know. Um, but that's usually what happens at music festivals, a third party, um, production company, and they have a set of audio engineers and people who set up the stage and things like that. And they were, all of them were white. Yeah. It's like, I'm at a, 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 a music festival with Afro in the name. Right. And the, and the people who drive the sound, the very essence. Mm hmm. Of what we are doing. There's mm-hmm. a sound. Sound yeah. is just a vibration. The frequencies. Yeah. And all the iter- all the ways that that means something. Spoken beyond, from a true audio engineer. Beyond Here music. Go. Go all in, the ways that, Go all in. the ways, vibrations everywhere. But it's a fucking music festival and sound is the quintessence of it. It's what allows it to happen. That's what draws people together. It's what reverberates throughout the community that, that surrounds Barry Commodore Park. Right. And all of the motherfuckers driving the sound are white. Yeah. As if black audio engineers don't exist. Yep. As if Afropunk is contented with it being a a, a presumable safe space for black people without actually having black people included in the processes that make it happen. Yeah, beyond like they, volunteering, beyond working the door, beyond being a porter. I saw a lot of porters and janitors that were of color. Beyond doing labor that is, you know, sometimes unfulfilling for people. 
It's like they didn't do the research of who they were bringing on. They found the closest or the most accessible person or the best or whatever and didn't look to see, well, how many black people are going to are employed on your team? Right. But then you say resist and right. you have hella, I mean, or agitate, aggravate. It has so much market employee shit. Malcolm like, X quotes, bell hooks quotes. It uh, was so tropey and kitschy. Yeah. Like I'm not even going to front on y'all. Like yeah. it was just so glaringly, obviously not a part of the setup of the festival. Yeah. The whole feel of the festival. And then was, didn't de Blasio come and speak right before the magic of Solange? Did that happen? So they had Bill de Blasio Bill fake open de for Solange. Bill de Blasio came out and spoke. And Bill de Blasio, why in God's name would Bill de Blasio be at something called Afropunk? Why would he be invited? A space like a space that is Afropunk resist, hello, resist that word again, right? Is is a space to resist those systems. Why in God's name would you have de Blasio there, who is problematic as hell? And they keep using, oh, because he has a black wife. That's disgusting. She's not a trophy. She's yeah. not his, like, get out of white supremacy card. Ooh. No, he's still problematic. He's still very much a racist. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, he has black children and a black wife. And this happens all the time. And I think it's really, like, it's really, it was really disheartening to see him there. Was that like the nail in the coffin for when you nail. saw it? That, I don't like nail in the coffin. That I was hate the, that. Oh, that was yeah, the nail I'm in existential the, right now. That was the nail in the Ikea shelf. Okay. <laughs> which went right through the shelf. Yeah. The, the nail in the Ikea shelf, yeah, was, yeah, that was really, that was hard for me. And they put his picture up. It was a mess. I was like, why is he here? Does he go and speak at, um, what is the thing on Governor's Island, the music festival that happens? Governor's ball. Mm, yeah, with like the Kanye West, like all Something the big names. Yeah, Something, one of those. Yeah. He doesn't speak at any of those. Why is he speaking at Afropunk? He may speak at those. I can't imagine that he does. Regardless, Afropunk is, is is essentially after seeing no black sound engineers engineering black music. I realize that my that that Afropunk is a microcosm of the world that we live in, where black audio engineers, live sound engineers are super underrepresented um, and not given opportunities in favor of a completely white dominated industry. And y'all got the nerve to use resist as a part of y'all slogan. Totally. It's just, it's tropey. Like you said, there's no other way to put it. Super tropey and sad because it wasn't like that before. You never needed the words resist highlighted on a fence. You never needed that. Because the space was resisting. Let's go. There was there was an entire action one, one year with Black Lives Matter and BYP 100 around black trans women dying. Why didn't we do that this year? Why wasn't the space for that? That doesn't make any sense. It's not the space for it anymore because now it's a spectacle. Now it's white folks in khakis and white collared shirts. Yes, there's people dressed like that at Afropunk staring, right. asking to take pictures with me. No. Yep. No. I'm not doing that. With a Budweiser in their hand. Right. Of and it's course. hard for me to turn down people who ask me for photos because I'm just not that kind of person. I never want to be like that. I think that's so bizarre when people are like, oh, no, I'm not going to take a picture with you. That's, that's weird. But it, something felt very zoo-like mm-hmm. when, when this person asked me or, or some other people who I also turned down. Where it just didn't feel good. It just felt like you were going to go back and show 
show like your friends that you were at Afropunk, but not actually what it meant for me to be there in that space. Yeah. And how sacred it is for me to be there. But it's just something for you to go and gawk at or say yeah. that you were there. Yeah. So yeah, it was. It's just. A, I don't want it to sound like it was all bad. No, um, it wasn't. Because it, it's not. It, it's. It is a beautiful festival, and I think if folks want to go, then they should go. But I think Afropunk needs to do a lot of work on that festival to keep it in its true form. And it's. I mean, it's, it's far gone from its true form. Yeah. But Afropunk needs to do a lot of work in keeping it punk and Afro at the very least. Well, I don't think that it's in their interest to keep it Afro. Um, And I think, I mean, one thing I will say that is positive is that I saw a lot of new um, breaking artists. I saw a lot of independent artists. um, And they all sounded really great. Like, I I will say that Afropunk continues to remain a platform for independent artists, um, multi-genre independent artists to do their thing and to be featured on the same bill as artists like Anderson Pack and Solange. Like, that's major. Yeah. I think, I, you know, Solange was super magical for me. Because I think Solange re- represents this Afropunk New Age movement. Mm-hmm. Just talking about blackness and being unapologetic in that is punk. Yeah. <laughs> Hands yeah. on your knees doing a Hands, New Orleans twerk right, on the ground. That's punk. And the monochromatic set and dressing just like it and the whole full you know, band that she had behind, like that was all punk and it was very beautiful and dope. That was the highlight of my weekend. It was so amazing. And to be surrounded by black people seeing this shit is for us. Are you kidding me? Alongside white people also singing this shit is for you us. You didn't see no white people. Yes, singing I did. This I was right for... next no, to one and she was singing. You were not next to a white person. She babe. wasn't saying all my niggas. I was babe. Oh, the... you were. You were person who was next to me you know how sardine pack we was Babe, i know how tight you would have been if there was a white person i kept look first of all erica i kept looking around i saw multiple white people you singing kept looking around you, you never told me this you trying to add you <clears> trying <throat> to get new followers <laughs> <laughs> you will not replace us this <laughs> no i I thought it was super lit and I didn't see any white people singing that song and I honestly I saw there was just so many black people there it was too too distracting um, I think that's just, a, but just the, perfect. the grand paradox of it though is this shit is for us yeah uh, her singing that this song in that for, moment and at you got that a time. right to be mad it's just it, I, I think that was sick I mean Anderson Pack was also dope um, Sango was dope. I wish I would have saw Kate Trinata, but new Doc Martens really just don't let you be great. Oh yeah, them things was squeezing all on your foot. Yeah. So all in all, Afropunk was a joy, a corporate joy and pleasure. Corporate joy. Um, it was replete with images of black people. It was hella black. It was hella my partners, hella my niggas, hella you people saw that so I many people knew, you knew that I fuck with. There was really a gold, a black gold of the sun lining that entire festival that is keeping it from devolving into complete Coachella level whiteness. Yeah. Um, I'm very happy and proud to have been by Erica's side through that experience and to see people moved. Um, and and I think what we're speaking about with some of like the weird shit that people do when they come up, mm-hmm. that's only point one percent 
Yeah, it was a very of small, interactions. Yeah. But ninety nine point nine percent of y'all out there in this world show big love. Yeah, enough love, tough love. Yeah, I love it. Um, and keep embracing us. That a lot of people came up to me at a time where I was like, oh man, this festival was really pissing me off. Um, being here and seeing way that white people interact, walking around and VIP and all corporate and all cool and like I'm at Afropunk and I'm gonna pose for a picture knowing damn well ain't nothing Afro about me but the things that I steal and co-opt and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I give it. I I enjoyed myself you this did. year. I had a ball, but I, I mean, but again, black like people said, always it's a have microcos- a ball. It's a microcosm <clears throat> of the world. So you can't keep giving white people all your power, all your fun. White people are there, okay. But it's a decision that I have to consciously make as a black person that others don't. It is. It is a decision that you have to make as a black person. But you can't have that take up your whole time. That's what I was telling you. You have to focus on what was going on there. Focus on the majority of the people. It's a microcosm of the world. White people are going to be there. Yeah. Afropunk does not have the amount of ovaries to say to white people, you cannot come in here. This is not a space for you or we're charging white people more. Can you imagine right. the uproar? <laughs> that yeah. would never be the case. So you have to get that by going into that space, that is what's going to be happening. But to look at the fact that you're never really going to be at a concert, let alone a music festival, with that many black people. Even if it's called Black, Black, Blackity, right. Black Festival. It doesn't matter. Black Oprah. It black, doesn't matter. Black People's Festival. It doesn't matter. I think I'll start a festival called Black People's Festival. Yeah. And see the, the number of white people that come. It's also, you have to consider, I just thought of this, that if your music festival has white people in it, that makes it look like it's accessible. That makes it look like people want to go. Yeah. That makes it look like it has a bigger reach. That makes it look like keywords like starts with a D, ends with a Y. It's, well, diversity, but Diver- it's diverse, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you're inclusive. When all along, that was never necessarily, you weren't using buzzwords like that. That's not what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. We're here to create space. We're here to resist and agitate. Yeah. Resisting and agitating looks like an all-black music festival. Period. Because they don't look like that. Yeah. So why don't you just let us have our space? Right. Well, I would love to know... From white folks outside of music, why would you go to Afropunk? Yeah. I would love to know the answers to that question. Same. Like, I don't, I don't, what is, or, or rather. Because I'm not going to Anglopunk. Right. Or rather not, why would you go to Afropunk, but more so, was there a thought, maybe I shouldn't be here? I would love to know if, if folks thought that. Because I think if you considered that, not cool, like you get a pass. But just I'm wondering if you thought that. And if my thing is, is white folks are there, then be in the bar areas. Chill out in the back of the space. Don't be at the front of each concert, of each performance. Don't take up space where black folks could possibly be. Like, be out of the way. <laughs> but again, it's not my music festival. It's not. Like, there, Afropunk has some sort of other idea of what they want to do. There's pictures then, now of white folks in Afropunk galleries. That is weird. Yeah. That's weird. Well, it's also like no white person said, actually, I'd rather you not photograph me. No. I'm just here to enjoy. Don't take up space. Music. If you're going to go, fine. If you just want to enjoy the music, great. But don't take up space. 
and get interested in what that looks like and do not ask about a person of color or yeah. a black person. And don't get mad at me if, you know, Solange is singing and she talking about I got a right to be mad and I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. Don't feel away mm-hmm. in the spirit of the festival mm-hmm. if I start to emote in those ways. Yeah. Also, in thinking about um, just the word punk and what that represents to different communities, it's wildly unaffordable. Yeah. It's wildly unaffordable. It's also in- inaccessible. In what ways? Well, I'm thinking about in, in the ways of disability. Because people coming up to me and saying that I'm an inspiration. And it's just inspirational porn, right? Because they're mm-hmm. seeing my trauma. But anybody... I'm, I was wondering if people were deaf. Yeah. If folks were blind. If someone was, you know, using a wheelchair, using a crutch. How are they supposed to get around Afropunk? Yeah. Or how are they supposed to experience Afropunk? Yeah. That's punk. Yeah. To make spaces accessible. That's certainly Afro. It's to make them accessible. Absolutely. So what, where is that? It's not there. We the Afropunk made it accessible for white people to be there. Moving on. Moving on. I think we can book in that conversation right <laughs> down there. Book in. So we've been having a lot of conversations around. White able-bodied cis folks. Bam. Let's be specific. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So we've been having a lot of conversations also around attractiveness mm-hmm. and what that means to a lot of people. Um, and not just inside of a conversation about Afropunk, but in an everyday conversation around pretty privilege and being beautiful and what that means. Yeah. And so I, Erica has a lot of pithy thoughts and a lot of bangers about that. Um, but I, I think about it often cause I don't feel conventionally, I don't really care about conventional beauty cause I understand what the word conventional implies, which is white. Um, but I also think there are intercommunal things around skin color, colorism, um, and attractiveness that are, of course are, have been conditioned to us, um, by whiteness, but they still remain and we still have to deal with the impact and a lot of people just don't. Yeah. In the black community. Intercommunal conversation, y'all. Fuck with it. Intercommunal conversation and also, you know, just, I guess, inter or just the, you know, I guess I don't even know how to say the world conversation. Intra, but also a worldly conversation about mm-hmm. beauty. Is that how you say that? If it's not intra, what's the opposite? Inter. Inter, but that's inside. So no, across. Inter. Oh, gotcha. Okay, inter. International. Inter, got it. International. <laughs> Brain fart. So me growing up as a kid, I was never considered beautiful outside of my parents Um, and was called ugly on a regular basis by my peers and just the folks around me. It was there was, you know, my best friends were the pretty people. And one of my best friends in particular is a black um, person who had was very light skinned. And has red hair, natural red hair, and was always be the center of attraction, mm. or always the center of attention as far as her looks, and it was never me. And the message that that sent to me was that she's attractive and I'm not, obviously, right? And I've started recently looking into why that is mm-hmm. and thinking more about light skin privilege. And, you know, in the, in a smaller community that I exist in, which is a queer community, 
how those beauty dynamics still play out mm-hmm. in the sense of how when I go to parties, which is, I guess, another, you know, microcosm of the world, the people that are hanging out are all light skin. And the folks that w- are attracted to them and are hitting on them are all light skin. Mm-hmm. So it's just this whole, like, little light skin, I'm hitting be on some you. some dark skin people in the mix, in it, the fold. Right. So for it, sure. But for the most part, it's a lot of light skin, I'm trying to hit on you, I'm trying to be with you situation. And then on the outside brim, it's darker skin folks. And it just gets darker as the layers fall out. Mm. And I just started noticing that and I wanted to expand that more because I don't think people are taught. I think people talk about fatness. I think folks talk about obviously transness and talk about gender, talk about cisness, talk about disability. But when I say pull apart beauty, we'll say beauty is, you know, connected to white supremacist standards, but not exactly what that looks like yes. intra-communally. Yes, yes. Right? Like it does actually look like a particular curl of hair. Yeah. So yes, there's curl fest and you know, black folks going natural every like two seconds, which I think is beautiful. <laughs> um, but there is a particular way that when your hair goes natural, what do your curls look like actually? Yeah. Right. They have like this little system, two C and four C. Yeah. When you go by weaves, right? No, so, no. It's for your curl pattern. It's, but that's a weave. No, they're not talking about weave, babe. One and four and C and I got to edit this out. Because it's not about weave. Yes, it is. When you go by a weave, it's a T, it's a C. I promise you it's about weave. Babe, you're so wrong about this. I'm not. I will edit. I'm going to edit it out. Because you're actually 100% wrong. And I really want you to like. Where do you think that comes from? We're going to have to book we, in that. Because that shit is book, incorrect. Book, okay, babe. But anyway, there's all of these different things that come into play as far as beauty. And I started looking at that and the reasons why folks aren't necessarily coming up to me, right? So if you think about Afropunk, the years prior to before prior to when I went topless was there was nobody taking pictures of me, nobody coming up to me saying I was beautiful. There were nobody, you know, obviously no fans or things like that. But the, the time, the first time I took my top off was what I always say is when people first saw me. Hmm. It was that I had to show my trauma in order for you to actually see that I exist. And I have been going to Afropunk for six years now. Yeah. And only in the past two years have people seen me. So it kind of connects back to my previous statement of people saying that I'm inspiring and beautiful. It's almost like they don't know what to say. Hmm. You want, you're saying that I'm inspiring and beautiful because otherwise, what would I be? Yeah. You know, like I, I don't, I, yes, I do think that I have pretty privilege and I do acknowledge that. But at the same time, I think, I think there's this, this, this urge for brown skin, dark skin hues to hues to, to be a particular way in the world. We can't just be. I have to do the most in order for people to notice me. Even in dating. Even in dating. But the most to the extent where I have to show you my trauma and then and then you'll accept me and then you'll see me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, Erica's really cool. Or she gotta or be Erica's hella, really beautiful. Erica's or I smart and funny and cool. I and now do the I'll, mo- I'll call you back. Or right. I'll, yeah. Right. So when I see light-skinned girls and I would love to have or light-skinned femmes, I would love to have an intracommunal conversation about this in a sense where what I see is that they don't have to do much. 
I don't see that they have to really engage themselves. I don't see that they have to be super funny or super smart when they're in a space of a dating space or that they're going to be hit on. Right. They can kind of just be right. And people will flock to them. My best friend, Deborah, love her to death. But when we were young, she didn't do anything. She just sat there. People would come up to her and be like, you're beautiful. She did nothing. She went with her doobie. Her hair wrapped up with all the clips, right? So it would come out in like a little bob. People come up to her and be like, you're so, I would love to be with you. You're so cute. Well, I would literally have to sing a dance, fall down on my roller skates, eat um, French fries, get ketchup on my lip for somebody to be like, Erica, Erica, get your life together. That's how people would see me, but never you're beautiful just for existing. I got to show you all my trauma. So now what I'm seeing is that in queer spaces, folks are like, you know, I really want you, you know, I'm so happy that you're, that you're here, that you're at this party. I'm like, I would have been at this party anyway. Like, why am I getting this special shout out? Right. You know why? Because I bared it all. Because now you see me because I have some sort of social capital. You didn't see me before. People, you know, I'm walking up to the top of parties and people are letting me in right away. How? Why? You know, I don't, I don't think about these things in the sense of, you know, oh, you know, I did something, so then that means I deserve to be into the party or I deserve to nah, that's be not a true. part of, that's never you know, it. this magazine or this, you know, particular event or collaboration. I don't think that way. Right. But what I do think about is why people want me a part of their things. Yeah. And I think the why is a big conversation around beauty. And I think if I look different, a different way, I don't know that I would have all this social capital. Right. I don't know that folks would be like, oh, you're... You're really beautiful. You know, so it just, there's a lot of it. Right. Come, it kind of like all comes together in the sense where folks really, I never heard so much in my life that I'm beautiful until I showed my double mastectomy scars. Also, is there ever, a t- and I talked to you about this, do you feel like there's ever a time because of the ways the world has conditioned black films, especially dark skinned black films, that when people are being like, you're hella hot, and when I am popping and spitting at all of y'all, you know, films like I do, like I spit at you, mm-hmm. that you, is there ever a moment in time where you're like, I don't believe you and therefore there's something barring you from, or like, are you aloof when motherfuckers are really trying to get at you and pop at you and think you're hot? No, I think that I think that conversation are. is inside of, inside of, you know, not believing our trauma too. In what way? Is are we aloof? Because, mm. you know, folks may be hitting on us, but are they the people that we want to hit on us? Real nigga shit. <laughs> like, let's just be real. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe somebody is hitting on us, but is it the person that we want to talk to? You know, like, so I think that that's an important conversation across the board for folks who are considered ugly. And it has you consider your own desired politics. So totally. What does that mean for you to... What is the person that you want to hit on you to look like and be? Totally. A little short, dark-skinned, trans nigga like me? or Totally. You know, even though I look very... I'm very cute. Oh, okay. Let a record. Okay, baby. Yeah. I'm man. glad you got that all handled. Very, I just got it handled right now in this conversation. Right now in this conversation. I never call it. myself fat. I never look in the you mirror never, and be like, I hate never myself. Ever I didn't wake up this conversations about yourself ever. ever. Like, not even yesterday. Not even 30 yesterday. minutes ago. Oh, no. no. Not I. Not no. A, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that there's this conversation is, it needs to, ha- I think people need to be straight up about this. Because, yeah, yeah I do think, 
people that are ugly. Like, let's just say that's like a bad word in this world. Mm -hmm. The people that are ugly or considered ugly or not conventionally attractive do get hit on. But I don't think that it's by the folks that they want to be hit on by. Or there's a, or there's, maybe there's not the same influx of folks to the people that are attractive, which is valid. <laughs> it's valid. If you go to a party or a bar or you're on Tinder or whatever, you know, dating app and people are not hitting you up, but people are hitting up your friend that's conventionally attractive on a regular basis, you feel away. And that's valid. That's what you're message. saying is valid. It's valid. It sends a message. It absolutely does. So I, these beauty image, the concepts around beauty image play out beyond this, you know, love yourself world or self-esteem world. They play out in dating spaces. They play out in what you have access to. They play out in getting social capital. They play out when you have a chronic illness and how you get to use that activism in continue, like continue moving it forward. It plays out in getting a job. People hire me because they think that people will listen to me because I am, I have pretty privilege because I present in a particular way. Yes. Right. It doesn't, it's not just my academic skill. And it's also what you talk about all the time about the binary, about mm-hmm. the world's obsession with binaries. Yeah. Beauty, pretty, beauty, pretty ugly. Yeah. You know, non-attractive, attractive, conventionally beautiful, unconventionally beautiful. Yeah. It leaves a univocal voice of what of, of what a thing should be. Yeah. It only the binary only gives you two options. Yeah. Like Franz Fanon talks about all the time. Is a colonizer, the dominator culture gives you two options mm-hmm. and that's it to by which to choose from. Yeah. You're either gonna be ugly or you're gonna be pretty. And I and the colonizer is gonna decide what that means. Absolutely. They're going to define the convention. Absolutely. Because in my opinion, ain't no such thing as ugly. And ain't no such thing as beautiful. I really, really believe that. Really? When I say things are beautiful, I'm not talking about the way that they look. But when I use is, words like fine and sexy and all that other shit. But this is my thing, yeah. though. This is where I'm going to call you on your bullshit. Because <laughs> this is the conversation that people yeah, want to people want to divert to when we have conversations about beauty because and desirability. Right. Desirability politics. You want to, you want to like literally shift, pivot to this place of, oh, everybody's beautiful or everybody is I didn't say that. Or beauty and ugly don't exist. And I don't <laughs> believe in that. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit, because I, you live in this world and you are impacted by the same colonized standards. So let's have that conversation so we can, at the very least, pull it apart. But if we never acknowledge it, it's just going to persist. True. I agree. And I was going to say that it's the impact. It Absolutely. has an impact. Now, I don't necessarily believe that everybody, that it doesn't exist. The impact is certainly palpable and felt. Yeah. And we all perpetuate these conventions and these standards, even if we see through them. Yeah. Um, as them being overtly colonized. However, I am the type of person I've always been made uncomfortable by this word ugly. Absolutely. And this too. word, and I'm not just, and it's because of the visceral response is like, I don't, nobody wants to be ugly. Right. Nothing wants to be ugly, but I also like, but what if it was okay to be ugly? Why is that a problem? Yeah. But what but so but what is that up against? What the hell is ugly? What but exactly but what is but beautiful? We've never we've never pulled it apart. We haven't gotten there yet. We have to have the uncomfortable conversation first. Which is why why don't people look at me when I'm out in the street in the same ways that they do my light skinned friend or my friend with a big ass? I do not get hit on in the same way it, it, at all. Even if I went out today, it doesn't happen. 
So what do you think for people who say street harassment or who, and, and this is also another conversation yeah. that we have. Some people, you know, it was a time where, you know, when I would get street harassed, that would confirm to me that I'm attractive. That mm-hmm. would validate it and That's make real. me feel good. Like, okay, like somebody's looking at me and I didn't realize that it was driven by like, oh, you, I could probably easily fuck you because you fat or you whatever, whatever perceptions that they had about my mm-hmm. body or well, about the way that I look. Um, control it's also, control. but it's also like, uh, it, it, for sometimes it's an end game. Like, I make you feel good by complimenting you in the street, and I may be able to fuck. Like, right. I think that's also there. It's not just oh, I want to control you, and I want to talk shit this morning. It's like I'm trying to see how I can fuck, and if you respond to this in a certain way, that means that that's okay. Well, sometimes I don't even think they're trying. I think it's a. I think a lot of times street harassers are not alone. They're trying to impress someone. It's a control over your body. Like, look at this person. Look at this femme-presenting person. I'm going to yell out the window to make them feel good. And that's that's what you were saying. Is that they men believe that they have that power. Because they're mm-hmm. taught that they do. Wow. Wow. But even if they're the security guard? Even if they're the fucking security guard at Afropunk. And you are walking up to get your bag checked. And you put your arms out because you think that he is going to also search you. And he says, baby, as much as I want to search you right now, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just fucking appalled. Why can't I just go through the security line into the music festival that's all about no transphobia, no queer phobia, no, no, nada, sexism. no sexism, and be great. And then I tell someone that he's doing that, and she and she tells me that he's been doing it all day. So what the hell are you? Gonna and you do tell about the it? white person who's working at Afropunk right. to Here check him, and that he no, I'm calling them motherfuckers out. That's my mission <laughs> in life today. That's my mission go for ahead, the next baby. hour. Go, go another. You hour. told her. Go in. You told her. I did tell her. And and she oh, said she's been, been doing, doing that all day. day. That's Tyrone. That's my friend. Right. Tyrone don't fucking do that shit to you. Hello. And that's and that's another intercommunal conversation that we have to have. We have to talk about street harassment from an intersectional positionality. We did receive a street harassment story by a listener. Um, shout out to Indira in the Netherlands, but here's her experience. Last month, I was walking home in the early evening, I guess eight-ish. It was still light out without headphones because my phone had died. Suddenly, I heard this guy behind me say, Damn, you got a great ass. I ignored him and kept walking, but he persisted, saying that he wanted to tap that. Who says tap that? It's 2017. Please (laughs) let me tap that Mm -hmm. again. And then some bull about that he was giving me a compliment or something. You know, what I just said. It was too generic for me to remember. All this was in English, which is not the dominant language here. And this whole time, it felt like forever. But I checked Google Maps, and apparently it was like a one-minute walk. It does, and interactions do feel long, mm-hmm. psychically. Nigga kept, you know, <laughs> he kept walking behind me. I'm reading this how I talk. He kept walking behind me, and since I tried my hardest to ignore him, I didn't look back at him at all. So it was basically just this random voice harassing me from behind, which made it even weirder. Then when he apparently needed to go another way, then I did. He shouted, bye, pretty lady, or something. And I fled into a store to be sure he was gone. There's a great meme that's going around that's like, why is it that cis men do not listen when 
femmes and women say, you know, that street harassment makes scares us and we are brought up to fear men period. So you doing that really evades our space. I'm waiting for the day that they actually listen to that. None of that shit is complimentary, especially on a dark fucking street. When you got headphones in, where's she on a dark street? It was about eight ish. Maybe a little bit of light. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Never been there, but probably darker than that. We're coming. We're coming to the Netherlands. I just don't understand why somebody would think that that is the time to then take up my space and be all in my face. I'm just, I'm really confused. And and it's also, I think about cis men as teachers or just around children, young girls and teaching them anything about the world. Mm -hmm. Do they ever say don't, you know, (laughs) you know, be careful around men or be, you know, don't, you know, mind your body or be careful here or be careful what they, I know that cis men are perpetuating that women should be scared. Yes. I know that that's happening. So why is it that cis men are the same people who are street harassing? You understand? It's, It's all control. It's all control. Street harassment is all wrapped up in white supremacy. It's all wrapped up in let me compliment your body because it doesn't belong to you anyway. Period. And so on that note, on that dire sour note, <laughs> we're going to holler at y'all next week, same time, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time on Hit Rat to Head Rap. We'll actually have our special edition. Every edition is fucking special. Fuck these approaches. We're going to be talking about gender and you're going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about me. I'm going to talk, talk about, about me because they always put trans people on the spot when we talk about gender and that doesn't have to happen. Sure. Don't thank that you. Don't cis person, my resident cis person. You're that welcome. I'll be you're thank you. <laughs> thank you. We love y'all. It's been great. I hope that I was just about to be an apologist, an Afropunk apologist, but Fuck I'm not going to do that. I hope that if you went to Afropunk, if you saw us, if you went to Afropunk and you just had a badass time, I'm so glad. And if you saw us, thank you for coming up and saying hello. We so appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for continuing to listen this far because right now we are just talking shit. Bye.